Please turn with me to Matthew chapter 4 this morning as we continue our series in the Gospel of Matthew. That series is entitled Fulfilled. Most of you are conscious that you'll find it on page 1499 in the Pew Bible. For those watching on our live stream, both here in the United States and overseas, when we open up scriptures here in the sanctuary or pause and pray, please feel free to do that at home as well. And if you're joining us for the first time, having a Bible open on your lap Sunday by Sunday as you tune in and follow us will be a good idea as together we examine God's Word. And Matthew chapter 4 begins with these words. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him. And angels came and attended him. Amen. And we trust that God will bless to us this reading from his holy word. A couple of weeks ago, I broke a leg on my glasses and had to go to the optician and ask if they could repair them. And while I was standing there chit-chatting with the girl, she explained the process and the cost, of course, was astronomical. And on the other hand, $10 would have been astronomical to a Scot, but nonetheless, it was expensive. And as I'm standing there, I noticed a little piece of paper on the counter. It was actually a notice. And it said, if you don't see what you're looking for, you are probably in the right place. And I thought that was very clever and also funny. And as I was driving away from the optician, I was thinking about it more and more, and then I began to see the parallel with the Scriptures. That on Sunday morning, when we open them up and we take time to investigate and immerse ourselves in verse after verse of God's Word, then we see how applicable they come. Their relevance begins to leap off the page as God speaks directly into our lives. And I trust and pray that will be our experience this morning as we come to this well-known passage of Jesus in being tempted in the wilderness. Now, most of you are aware that Back in early December, we started this series of studies, and I said back then we were going to stay with them during December, January, February, and March. And we do that quite intentionally, because as a congregation, we're convinced that every 
three and a half, four years or so, it is a healthy process to spend a protracted period in one of the Gospels. And so we're coming to Matthew. And along with that, we have produced, as most of you are aware, a bookmark. And the bookmark has, at least on the front cover, our Sundays for January, February, and March. And next to those Sundays, the dates are there, is a passage of Scripture. And that's quite intentional, because our hope and prayer is this, that if you're determined in 2024 to take your faith more seriously, you will spend 10, 15 minutes each day reading God's Word, seeking to immerse yourself in it, and then apply it to your lives. And what you will discover, of course, is that when you work your way through the same passage of Scripture we look at in a Sunday, for example, Matthew 4, 1 through 11, stay with the same passage for the rest of this week until next Sunday, what you will discover, of course, is that your Bible starts to open at Matthew's Gospel. The more you spend time in it, it will simply naturally open there. Now, please don't be unnerved or disconcerted by that. It's more about binding than something supernatural. So, don't please read this as a divine sign. It simply will be that your Bible will get used to turning there. But the supernatural aspect will be this, that the challenges, frustrations, complications of the year ahead when you spend extended time in Scripture, you will know how to respond to those challenges and frustrations and difficulties. You will sense the voice of God leading and guiding and directing you as you come towards them. And that's exactly what we're about to see in this passage of Scripture this morning. And it begins, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted the first question we ask is, the opening word of chapter 4 is, then. And whenever you come across the word then in Scripture, you immediately, instinctively ask, when? And so, you step back and look at the end of the previous chapter, that great moment of affirmation and reassurance at the baptism of Jesus, when in public the heavens open and the Spirit of God descends upon Jesus, and His Father says, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Thirty-three years ago, when Michael was born, the first thing I remember thinking when I picked him up was exactly those words, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And for Jesus, it was a moment of affirmation, public acclaim, a note of celebration and joy at the end of one chapter. And then suddenly, He finds Himself after the highs of His baptism in this bleak, dry, arid desert setting. And He was there for 40 days 
please forgive me for this because it's not as accurate as I think it is. It's a little like us coming down from the celebrations and high and joy of Christmas and all of the festivities, moving into a new year, and then realizing it's the middle of January, and we're going back to routine and the mundane and the scheduled. And we think, gosh, wouldn't it be lovely to live then in Christmas every day? And yet our faith says this. Our faith is every bit as credible in the midst of the routine and the mundane and the ordinary as it is in the high days and holidays and festivals. And the question is, why would the Holy Spirit lead Jesus into the desert? What was going on during those 40 days? What was so important that he had to spend 40 days before entering into his public ministry? The next three years of extraordinary blessing, of God at work in miraculous ways. Why did he need 40 days in the desert? I suspect the same reason that we find ourselves on Facebook and TikTok and Snapchat and every other social platform that's out there. Because being connected is important. Being relational is a priority for us. We need others around us. And for those 40 days, I suspect Jesus was spending time with his Father. Moments of great intimacy, days of deep, deep joy, Periods when he would sense his father's presence, his tender touch, encouraging and strengthening and equipping him for the next public, excuse me, the next season of public ministry that is to come. All of that was happening in those 40 days. And what's more than that, and Scripture doesn't tell us this, so I'm using my imagination a little, so please forgive me, but I think it's a reasonable inference what was he doing? Was he simply crouching at the side of a rock, hoping to get out of the sun? Did he just stand there for 40 days? Did he just walk up and down? I don't think so. I think not only was he spending time with his father, he was, I am convinced, spending time with his closest and best friends. Those he knew the best were there with him. And I imagine in his mind, he's recalling the words of Moses and the Psalms of David and the prophecies of Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel and the minor prophets all the way through to the beginning of the New Testament. And he was feeding his soul and Scripture so that when Satan comes to him and tempts him, his instinctive immediate response was, it is written. And we see it in the first of the temptations. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, the tempter came to him and said, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Can you imagine that? Can you see in your mind's eye Satan bending down and picking up a small rock just about the size of a small loaf, brown in color, appealing in its shape, and turning to Jesus and saying, oh, smell that fresh bread. Turn 
turn the stone into bread. If you are the Son of God, come on, it's no big deal. Let your walk equal your talk. Show us who you are. Let's see what you can do. Jesus responds, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's why we spend time in Scripture on Sunday morning, because it feeds our souls. It feeds us heart and mind and soul. It tells us of His love. It reminds us of His grace, and He equips us to take it and apply it and live it out day by day by day so that when we in turn are tempted, we can say, no, absolutely not. I will not go there. That's not who I am. And it will not define me or determine my future. And having been rebuffed, what do we see in the second temptation? Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple And again, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus responds, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And then he takes him to a high mountain to let him see for miles upon miles upon miles around. And he says to him, I will give you all of this, all of it, if you simply bow down and worship. Do you understand the magnitude and the immensity of what's taking place there? What began with a simple temptation to satisfy his hunger and turn a rock into bread, ends up with, worship me, and I will give you all of this. And Jesus, think of the acclaim. Think of the international popularity. People will know exactly who you are, that you are the Son of God, and that they should bow down in adoration and worship. Think of all that will be achieved if you simply bow down and worship me. And in what is typical of temptation, he doesn't tell you what else is going on. He doesn't come out and say, if you bow down and worship me, there will be no need for a cross. There will be no need for suffering and dying and death and the forgiveness of sin. There'll be no fulfillment of the eternal purposes of God and the salvation of humanity. That's not even brought into it. It's kept off to one side because sin at its very essence is deceptive. And when it comes to us, it comes in the guise of, this is no big deal. You can handle this. You're the one who's large and in charge. It will be absolutely fine. Everybody's doing it. Please, come this way. You'll be fulfilled. You will have contentment. It will be all you've ever wanted. And then some months later, I find an individual in my office shaking his head, his body racked with tears. There's been an affair. And it's been devastating to him, his family, all whom he loved. It's been utterly toxic, 
wounded and hurt people he knows and loves. And he says, what on earth was I thinking? Well, the first thing is you weren't thinking. You gave in to sin and temptation. You believed you were large and in charge. You believed you were the one to determine the future. And it all began to disintegrate in your hands. That's what's going on in this passage. And how many Sundays have we looked at the power of sin itself? It is seductive. It is attractive. It is exciting. It is appealing. It never tells you the result, but only the highlight. And likewise, with the temptation of Jesus, we see it right there. Now, you may be sitting there this morning saying, okay, Richard, I hear what you're saying, and I think I understand it, but Richard, let me be frank for one moment. Let me be absolutely honest. Richard, I will never be able to turn rocks into bread. I will never be the Savior of the world. How does this passage apply to me? How does it speak into my life this morning? Well, let me suggest that this, and let me suggest four pieces of the jigsaw puzzle that you need to put into place this morning. And on each piece, you will see shapes and connections and colors that go with the earlier part of the gospel, and you'll see the connection take place. And number one is this. In fact, we have it in our bookmark, and it comes in the form of a question. What is the most important change I can make to grow in my relationship with Christ this year? Number one, spend quality time with Him on a consistent basis. Delight in Him. Rejoice in Him. Be overwhelmed with His love and His grace, and understand again that for centuries before you were born, He set His love upon you. David tells us, Jeremiah tells us, while you were in the womb, I knew you. You're mine. You're loved by me. Delight in it. Rejoice in it. Thank Him for it. And that deep abiding intimacy, wow, what a difference that makes. Make time for Him. And this is a challenge to me much more than it is for you. And I have to ask questions relating to the second piece of the jigsaw puzzle we need to put in place. And it's this. Am I asking those deep, personal, probing, fearless questions about my own life? Let me give you an example. Am I spending more time on my smartphone each day than I am in the Scriptures and prayer? Oh, I can always justify it. It's how I stay in touch with people. It's how I deal with emails. It's how I deal with texts. It's how I find information. And then at the end of the week when it pops up in my phone, it tells me I have spent X number of hours and I don't look at it because I'm fearful to look at it. 
And somehow the Word of God has been relegated and marginalized and pushed to the corner. Am I ready for those fearless probing questions? Number three to put in place. It's a prayer. Father, grant me the indwelling enabling of your Holy Spirit to constructively break the habits and attitudes that have become such a part of my life, and you are ashamed of them. Those habits that are secretive, those attitudes I share with no one, the things I say in my mind, they're not worthy of my faith. Father, help me to take them away. Help me be rid of them. Create in me purity and honesty and transparency and accountability with you. And number four, allow me to see sin and temptation for what it is when it first comes knocking at my door. Give me the discernment. Give me the spiritual wisdom to recognize what it is because it often comes in various garbs and disguises. And sometimes I'm almost too late before I realize what's actually happening. Father, grant to me your sensitivity. And so this morning as we wrap all of this up, having put those conclusive pieces in place, what is our prayer? Father, allow me to become so familiar with Scripture that when a temptation comes my way, I am able to say, it is written, and stand four square on your Word, strengthened, encouraged, refined by your grace, that I might grow closer to you in the year ahead. May that be our experience in 2024. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for this remarkable passage of Scripture. Enable us, please, this week to return to it again and again, to immerse ourselves within it, to see its relevance for our lives and its application for the people we are. Bless us, encourage us, strengthen and equip us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.